Thank you, team. Go, team. That was beautiful. As we're handing out the packets, I want to take a second to thank both of my parents. My mom for making sure I had enough folders yesterday and then helped me stuff all of them, which was so kind. She says hi. And my father of blessed memory, who was the master of the two-sided handout. Or, if warranted, as in this case, a booklet of handouts. And sorry, Dad, there's no clip art, but I hope you're proud anyway. <laughs> he was an early adopter of clip art. Um, do me a favor and please write your name on your folder before we do anything, because they're floating around everywhere. Trust me, you're going to want to hang on to this. Um, as many of you know, if not all of you, we are having a whole day of liturgy classes. It's a liturgical extravaganza. I'm calling, what's prayer got to do, got to do with it? Right? You're not going to forget it, are you? No. So <clears throat> anyway, so even if you can't stay, we're going to try to record sessions. And also, you can learn a lot just by looking through the terms and maybe doing some Googling. Or you can talk to some of us later. Maybe friends could get together and share notes later. What? It'd be pretty cool. Uh, really quick, uh, I realize there's a lot of people here that are either visiting or relatively new, so I will reintroduce myself. My name is Britta, known affectionately as Britta K. I am, as my last UMJC name tag, my national name tag said, a rogue Khazan. I belong nowhere and everywhere. <laughs> I really like you guys, so I keep coming back. Um, I love you too. I've been coming here off and on to Bethany and off for 18 years. I've been doing this kind of stuff for about 17. I started learning. It's been a long time. Some of you were here. Um, I had to pinch hit my second Yom Kippur, as I recall. So we've been doing this for a while. I love what I'm going to talk about today. I have the honor and privilege of talking about a subject that Rabbi Joshua and I are really passionate about and a lot of other people are, but maybe we haven't done as much learning yet. So guys. Guys, guys, I am so excited because today you are officially receiving an invitation to something beautiful. It's a gorgeous family gift, an heirloom, but not particularly delicate. It is a powerful inheritance full of treasure and joy and insight. This is a day I have looked for for at least 15 years in this house. <laughs> So thank you for the honor of sharing this gift with you all today. So we are going to spend all day exploring this book, the Siddur, and the flow of this tradition. Right now we're going to talk a little bit about the ethos of Jewish prayer. Why do we do this traditional kind of prayer? How do we think about it, and how do we approach it? First of all, before anything else, I want to tell you something intrinsic to traditional Jewish worship. It is incredibly holistic. It is not enough to engage the mind or the heart or the body or even two out of three. It is imperative that we engage all of those things as much as we can while we pray. They do go into flux, and we'll talk about that in the session early this afternoon. We don't approach God, though, with only part of ourselves. We bring all of our being, our nefesh, our whole person. This is why you see those of us who already daven, and you'll notice there's places to write down terms and fills in the blank on this thing, and davening is one of the first terms on there. Davening refers to praying Jewish prayer traditionally out of a siddur. It's very specific. 
So for those of us that you see already doing it, I do it, Rabbi does it, several other people do, you will notice that we sway as we pray, right? We're very rarely holding still. Our lips move in near silent prayer during the silent parts of the Amidah. That's because the body doesn't stop. None of our person stops. Our entire being must engage in kavanah. Kavanah is one of my favorite words, also on this list. It can be rendered as holy focus or passion. So when you sometimes you'll see a prayer leader say, let's do this with great kavanah. That's what it means. It means really diving in, getting close to God. It can be rendered, it has a counterpart though. The passion is important, but there's also something called Keva, that means certain written words and accepted ways of davening. So all of the prayers as they're written down, certain actions that we take, we bow at certain points, we move other ways at certain points, we process the Torah at a certain point. That is called keva, and it simply means things that are more established. Kavanah is the passion, this is the form. Got that? Does that make sense? So, when both of those things are present, passion can remain centered. One will have a little more weight than another in a given moment. Sometimes, especially if you're learning, you're going to be stuck in the form a little bit. That's okay. You're learning. Sometimes you're really interested in what the form says that day. Other days, you're just emotionally there with God, right? That's okay. It's all part of the same body of stuff. Keeping them in tension keeps our worship engaged. We need to look at a few other terms that are on this list, and some of these you obviously know. Prayer. What is prayer? Talking to God. Excellent. How about worship and praise? What does that mean? Right? Sometimes we think that worship means the slow songs and praise means the fast songs. And I'm here to inform you that that, that is incorrect. <laughs> Interestingly enough, in the Jewish tradition in particular, prayer and worship are synonymous. Think about that. We focus so much on the fact that we are talking to God, even when we are technically talking about God. Like some of the Psalms are talking about God, not directly. We always think of ourselves as talking to God. So all worship is that. Praise is one type of worship. Praise is what? Telling God how great God is, mentioning to other people how great God is, but there are other kinds of worship. Confession, right? What have we done wrong? Or maybe even not even wrong sometimes. What are our actions? We do confess those before God. Petitioning God for help. This is another kind of worship, right? Have you noticed we don't do a lot of it on Shabbat? That is not an accident. In the traditional service, the only petition that happens is Misha Barach. There's a special thing during the Torah service where we ask for healing from God. Nowhere else do we do that because everybody is resting on Shabbat, including God, as best we can. There are exceptions, but as best we can, that's what we do. And also, I would argue meditation or pure communing with God is another kind of worship. Sometimes when I do those melodies, I don't have to do anything else. I'm already with God, right? So we've all been in those spaces as well of, in some sense, a pure sense of just communing, being with God. So all of those are kinds of worship. This becomes very important in just a second, actually. There's another term that I want to talk about first, 
it's a little more loaded, or at least it has been more loaded over the years. I think it's a little less loaded now, and that's part of the reason we actually get to do this now. Um, that would be the word liturgy. As, does anybody have positive feelings about the word liturgy? Anybody have negative feelings about the word liturgy? It's okay if you do, because back in the day, a lot of people did. As somebody who studied and participated in myriad approaches to worship, it's one of my favorite words, because it pertains to anything a religious community does when it worships together. I repeat, liturgy is anything that a worshiping community does that they have agreed upon together. Sometimes there's an overt agreement, like Presbyterians actually often have, this is how a service goes, the Catholic Church. You've, if anyone has been to a, a mass, you've seen that there is a very set liturgy in a book. It's easy to see it there, but guess what? It pertains to Pentecostal and charismatic people as well. Everything from speaking in tongues to giving matter-of-fact testimony to snake handling. All of that technically, even though the last one's crazy, <laughs> is liturgy, and I do not recommend it, even though I like snakes. Um, the word liturgy itself actually means the work of the people. If you remember anything about that word, that's what I want you to remember. Liturgy means the work of the people. It's the thing that we all get together and do. Isn't that cool? It describes whatever we do in worship, and in fact, the Hebrew word for worship, avodah, which is on your list, it means worship, but it also can mean work. Interestingly, is that a coincidence? I think not. So all of this is important. The last few things I've mentioned are important in our context specifically. And this is also the case in many Messianic congregations because we need to stop looking at the different elements of our service as liturgy and praise and worship. That doesn't exist. That whole dichotomy doesn't exist. Looking at the service as one holistic flow of worship will only bond us tighter together as a community. The fact that we do have a variety of leaders and styles involved reflects the variety of this place. One of the things I value the most about this place, by the way, we are comprised of different people coming from different places. Jews and Gentiles, people from the church, people from the synagogue, people from nowhere before, right? Just as that diversity is a part of our strength in many other arenas, it is a strength in worship, not a problem. And the more we can blur those lines in a way that we think about all of the elements of our service. And if you come to my session at 145, you will see that some of the biggest lines in that you know, thought of dichotomy are quite ready to be blurred. The richer and deeper our collective worship experience will become. And these communal prayer experiences will reverberate into our private prayer lives, which is vitally important. The Jewish tradition does not teach against private prayer where you talk to God in conversation. The tradition teaches both, but it teaches that these feed back and forth into each other. It's only going to make everything richer, guys. This is an amazing opportunity for revival and a renewal of our spiritual growth as a community and as individuals. Are you excited about that? Are you? All right. Rabbi's very excited. Thank you. And Dana. Dana's very excited. I'm glad. If Dana's on your side, you cannot go wrong. So, so we've recently introduced Sidarim into our Shabbat worship. Everybody got one? Everybody got one? You still have them in your hand somewhere around? You might notice that Sidor sounds kind of like another word. It's not the name of a Jewish holiday, but an object do, used during a major Jewish holiday. 
Seder. What does Seder mean? Does anybody remember? Order. order. Guess what? Same exact thing. The, it's an order of prayers that come from the same root. There is a set order to these prayers, and that order isn't arbitrary. It tells a story. Think of it like you would think of a play. All right. If I tried to stage Romeo and, Romeo and Juliet with the death scene first, it would be a very, very short play. Unless I got really interesting with it. What about all the gang violence and teenage romance? Also, directors always edit Shakespeare when they go to stage it. But if I omitted the balcony scene, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Would you really feel like you'd just seen Romeo and Juliet? Probably not. You'd be walking out of the theater going, um, where did that go? That's a terrible production. You know, there are major pieces in there that must be there in order to tell the story. You can't edit them out. And what about the language itself? What would happen if you went to see a Star Wars movie and nobody said, may the force be with you? Or the force will be with you always. It's not going to feel like Star Wars, right? Arguably, it isn't Star Wars without that language. It's been there from the beginning, and it's one of the ways we recognize a Star Wars movie, right? He gets it. This is our script. This is the play we put on every week, every day in some cases, not for entertainment or performance credit, but with God as our audience. Remember that. This entire thing, we put this on for God to show God how much we love God, right? There's flexibility in this script. There's absolutely room for options and editing, totally. Even as there are pieces that must be done in order for a Jewish service to happen. If we didn't recite the Shema this morning or do a Torah service, would it be a Shabbat morning service? No, we could still have a nice time of worship, which is fine, but it would be something else. This is the content of a Shabbat service, at least the basic structure of one. And as a visual artist and as a musician, I can also tell you that having something on a page to get inspiration from or even to react to, you don't have to like everything in there, by the way, and that's another conversation, is far easier than a blank page. So. It isn't a static script in which we have no input, but this is the place we start from. This story that the liturgy tells, much of it directly from scripture, also plays another important function. While we primarily enact it as an offering to God, it also functions as Jewish spiritual formation. Let me say it again. While we primarily enact it as an offering to God, it also functions as Jewish spiritual formation. The same Jewish spiritual formation, at least in great part, that Yeshua went through when he learned it. We are familiar with the term halacha. It means the way you walk. It's a great word. And it pertains to the practical ways we live out the, the mitzvot, the commandments, right? So for example, earlier we said, write these words on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. You can literally write them on the door frames writ large. And I've seen that done on rare occasion. But how do the majority of Jews fulfill that commandment, guys? Mezuzah, Mezuzah uh, you know, a small box 
with a handwritten scroll inside. We have several in various doorways in and out of this synagogue. But there's another side to halakha that I think davening addresses rather directly. It's not just enough to decide how to fulfill a mitzvah, but it also matters with what mindset and what attitude do we approach a mitzvah. Do I have a mezuzah on my front door to bring me good luck? Is it gonna ward off evil spirits? Do I have it to provoke anti-Semitic neighbors? <laughs> That's just a good byproduct. I mean, we're not gonna lie. That is fine. No, the reason I have a mezuzah is to remember who the God of the Shema is. That is the text inside it. And what I have promised to do for the God of the Shema in response, which is also in it. I will love the Lord my God with everything I am. I will speak of the commandments wherever I am, in this house, in this side of the mezuzah, and outside on the other side of that same mezuzah. The Ve'ahavta gives us the why of the mezuzah, as well as tefillin, which is used in weekday prayer. Without this constant reorientation, this weekly or daily reminder, that little box can become a cultural artifact that once meant something. The Siddur teaches us what it looks like to see God, the world around us, and each other through Jewish lenses. In fact, the word chazan, which is the proper Hebrew word for cantor, my job, equivalent to the word rabbi, which means teacher, chazan actually doesn't literally mean singer, which is what you would expect, right? The origin word from chazan comes from the word chaza, a verb which means to see, to behold. So as your chazan, it is my job, and any chazan, it is their job to try to put the goggles on first in order to enable the community to see through the same lenses. When we daven, we are learning how to see. We are all readjusting our vision. And it constantly needs the readjustment. And the vision we acquire in here is not just meant to influence our lives within these walls. As one of my favorite rabbis, Rabbi Sharon Brous of Ikar in West LA is fond of saying, this is a spiritual workout meant to get us ready for what happens out there wherever out there is. If it doesn't change and prepare us to do God's work in the world in concert with God, then let's not do it at all. And I could not agree more. Again, if it does not change and prepare us for stuff out there, we shouldn't do it. The words of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel in his tremendous essay on prayer also echo mightily, and I gave you all these quotes because I think they're important. Prayer is meaningless unless it is subversive, unless it seeks to overthrow and ruin the pyramids of callousness, hatred, opportunism, falsehoods. The liturgical movement must become a revolutionary movement, seeking to overthrow the forces that continue to destroy the promise, the hope, the vision. Could I have the slide? I asked for, might take a second to come up. This piece of neon art by one of my favorites, Patrick Martinez, says it all for me. I am tired 
of talk that comes to nothing. Anybody else feel that way? I am so, so tired of talk that comes to nothing. Prayer, both personal and liturgical, demands a walking out of what is promised. Something that comes to, talk that comes to something starts with us, nobody else. We need to learn to live what we say, to allow what we say to work through our system, to form loving and righteous action. Or, as Heschel also says in the same essay, the divorce of liturgy and living, of prayer and practice, is more than a scandal. It is a disaster. A word uttered in prayer is a promise. A word uttered in prayer is a promise. A liturgical revival cannot come about in isolation. Prayer is a confrontation with him who demands justice and compassion." End quote. When you come here on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m., which God are you thinking of? We certainly do serve a God who comforts us and protects us. Absolutely. Everything Amanda said was absolutely true. But do we also keep in the forefront of our minds God's demand for our compassion, for us to speak justice and then do it? As Dr. Cornell West famously said, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. What are we doing here today? We are preparing to love unabashedly and radically when we go out from here, as well as when we're here with each other. Did Yeshua teach or exemplify anything less than that? His talk always came to something, always. And it still does, as a matter of fact. I am convicted and driven by that. Have you ever seen anybody else love so boldly in public as he did? Can I learn how to do that? Can we as a community learn how together? My dear friends, we are one body. We are one team of players putting on a sacred play. I'm not the one putting it on by myself. Rabbi Joshua isn't, Sally isn't, Corey or Jeremiah or Hannah or Mel. No one person comes up here and does it alone. The team, as amazing as they are, as gorgeous as their skills are, and I get to play with them next week and I'm very excited about it, they enable the rest of us to enact the script. They don't do it for you. We all show up and do this together, right? Every single one of you, every single one of us plays such an important role. I talk a lot in the service about the Kedushot. And by the way, I have something later that I, I'm going to talk about learning curves are OK. I have a Hebrew error here. It is Kedushot, not Kedushim. I don't know why I did that. Fix it, please. Correct my Hebrew in your guides. I know. The, the Kedusha, those are the places in the liturgy where the angels appear. It's a very, very specific thing. And I like to talk a lot about how they grant permission to each other to praise. We need that same permission when we enter worship. Social permission is huge. Did you notice that earlier when we were doing OZ, we didn't ask you to stand, but Dana decided to stand, and Dana decided to clap, 
And then a couple other people decided to do it. And then at least half the place, if not three quarters of the place, was doing it, right? Good job, because if you don't, I know, but if you don't step out and do something, how do other people know that they can do it? We see that in our world in positive and negative ways, right? If you have little kids, one of them decides, let's slug each other. Let's all do it, you know. But if they say, hey, let's all do something fun together. Let's play this game together. Then it's a whole, you know, you can initiate all that kind of change. Most people need somebody else to start clapping in order to clap. Unless I do it from up here, no one usually does it. I, please start doing it. Um, so, <laughs> so when it comes to davening, as we dive into these practices as a community, when you do it, your neighbor feels more encouraged to try it to commit to it, to explore it. Years ago, I was the only woman regularly wearing a talus in worship. And I can tell you that wasn't popular with everybody, but I have always had the support of every single rabbi who has served this congregation in general and on this point. And so now I look around, and a lot of days I see several women wearing a talus. And I'm not going to take credit for that personally. But if some of us hadn't started doing it, I don't know that other women would have felt comfortable doing it. It's just how it works. So guys, even if you're just learning, be a little bold in your davening. Try things out. Sure, you may make a mistake. I made at least two pronunciation mistakes today. Try it as you feel able. Give yourself over and help others around you feel more able to try it. As you learn, you will find that the Siddur has words to help you when you don't have them yourself. When I first walked in here, I didn't know that I needed to hear the names of the matriarchs alongside the patriarchs. I'd never been in Jewish worship in my life when I walked in here at 21 years old. When I heard God of Sarah, God of Rebecca, God of Rachel, and God of Leah, I knew that I belonged here too. When my grandmother died, when my father died, sometimes I had plenty of words for God. And sometimes I had nothing. And sometimes I was here with you. And we said words that we all knew together. And that togetherness meant so much to me. And I'd say a majority of you know what I mean when I describe that experience because we've been there for each other, right? Speaking of speaking together, this brings me to my last point. I know we've already covered a lot in this first talk. The good news is the second talk, which is also kind of detailed, most of the notes are already in that packet for you. Bonus. <laughs> and you only need to write down extra things you want to remember. But if you remember one thing about davening from this talk, let it be about talking. We all love to talk. I know I do, clearly. I'm doing it right now. But the liturgy is not about one party talking ad infinitum. It is actually all about listening and answering. When we do the Bar Hu, when we do the Torah service Shema, and there are a few other prayers in which this happens that we don't do around here yet, which may or we may or may not do in the future, that are call and response. One person calls out and the rest of the group calls to them. There's a reason you see me try to indicate that so passionately. 
Because when the Chazan is chanting that particular liturgy, they are the earthly, imperfect stand-in for the voice of God calling us. Since we cannot hear God's voice directly, we have to approximate with a human voice. It is then our job to respond to that call. God calls, we respond. We don't talk over God. We have to wait. Ears open. And interestingly enough, the Shema, while we declare it as a group, is also a simultaneous call and response. Israel actually calls out to itself. God calls out to Israel as Israel calls to itself. And so we focus on listening, right? As Heschel put it, God is in search of us. God is actively looking for us every day, all the time. And so here in our liturgy, God calls out to us. Are we listening or are we talking over him? And if we aren't listening, are we prepared to give a response with our whole being? It takes time to gather yourself in listening in order to be able to give everything you've got back. The liturgy is one great conversation between God and Israel as a people and between the past, the present, and the future. I'm going to say that one more time. The liturgy is a conversation between God and Israel and between the past, the present, and the future. This means that we add to it. If you see a traditional siddur, it's often very thick. We don't tend to take things out as easily as we put them in. We do sometimes change it. It is a growing, living environment for our souls. But for some reason, it is tempting to take an extreme position regarding who is supposed to speak within the liturgy and who isn't. I have a very good rabbi friend in Florida who says, the siddur is the work of spiritual geniuses. And I want to pray the words of spiritual geniuses. I am not one. While humility is admirable, okay. I can't agree with him here because I feel that is abdicating our responsibility as if we're saying to the past, I have nothing to add. There is nothing else to say. I will shut up and just let you tell me what to do. I recently came across this amazing quote from Walter Benjamin, a Jewish-German philosopher from the early 20th century. In every era that attempt must be made anew to wrest tradition away from a conformism that is about to overpower it. We must keep remaking tradition or the crush of the past will kill it. At the same time, I've also known a lot of people who don't want anything to do with tradition, traditional prayers, anything they perceive is from the past. They are in essence saying to the past behind them, shut up, you have nothing to say to me. Say we were at a family dinner and all of us were the young to middle adult generation. Just say that. At the other end of the table sit the elders. Now, say the elders dominated the conversation. We would feel unheard, right? We would feel silenced. Say we dominated the conversation. Our elders would feel unheard themselves, disrespected, put on the shelf. Does that feel good? No. It doesn't make for a good dinner, does it? I have been to that dinner. Anyone else? 
And more importantly, if people aren't listening and responding, when precisely are our children supposed to enter that conversation? There's already no room. We need to teach them that they also have a voice and they also have ears. And we need to teach them how to use both by example and overtly. There were prayers that used to say in traditional Sidurim, thank you God for not making me a Gentile. My pastor Gentile father, I cannot say that. Thankfully, recent generations changed that negative and demeaning language to the affirmative. Thank you God for making me a Jew. Or, thank you God for creating me as I am, that anyone can say and affirm their personhood. As the great poet and memoirist Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. How will we learn to see more clearly and do better if that vision correction isn't active, if new voices can't speak to the old? So this is your invitation to speak and to listen. Welcome to the conversation. You've already been in it for quite some time. And perhaps this is the first time you've had it brought to your attention that you're even in the conversation. Thank you for listening this morning, this afternoon. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And yes, I'm going to talk a lot today. Uh, six or seven hours today. Maybe not quite that long, five hours. More than usual. I hope this first day of intensive learning opens your hearts and opens your lips with questions with ideas, with prayer, and with a lot of rejoicing. Let's learn as a community even more how to talk in a way that comes to something. Shabbat Shalom. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Thank, thank you, Britta. I hope you've been uh, inspired to stick around, especially if you weren't considering doing so, because I think this is just the beginning of some very practical if you begin to look through the, the packet, it really is very practical yeah. tools to help you in your, uh, both in your liturgical and in your kind of free-flowing conversations with God Absolutely. and with one another. So if you will rise as we turn in our prayer books to page 85 for the Elenu, page 85. <laughs> 